There's a uh, Russian legend about a peasant woman who was very wicked. She never did a single good deed. Uh, She never gave anything. She never did anything good or beautiful. In fact, she never even gave another person a kind look. Everything she did, she did for herself. When she died, the devil seized her and dragged her to hell. But her guardian angel told God, this woman once pulled an onion and gave it to a beggar. And God said, okay, take an onion and hold it out to her. She can cling on to it, but if it breaks, uh, she must stay where she is. But if she holds on, she'll enter into paradise. So the angel holds this onion out to her and she grabs hold and and the angel is carefully uh, lifting her out of hell and other sinners begin to cling on to her. And she says, this is for me. I'm the one that's to get out of hell. This is my onion. And at that moment, the onion breaks and the woman falls back into hell and the angel wept and went away and left her to her fate. Now, the point of that that story, that Russian story, is not, of course, that we can escape hell and enter into heaven by one small little good deed. Uh, We are saved, of course, by God's goodness and not our own. The point of the story is about character, about being a person of generosity. And as um, one theologian put it, commenting on this story, Miroslav Volf says, this story is about how to avoid the hell of here and now. The hell uh, that's made up of flames of greed, selfishness, indifference, pride. And then he said, no life worth living is possible without generosity. No life is worth living without generosity. Generosity reflects the character of the God we serve. God gives. The God of the Christian faith is a God who gives. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gives. God is a giver. And so as we practice generosity, we reflect the character of God. Now, in our epistle reading, Paul is calling the church of Corinth to generosity. And I invite you to look at that text here because I'm going to go through it a little bit this morning. Paul is on a mission to collect money for poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He's going around in the different Gentile churches and he sees this as at the heart of his mission is to to have the Gentile churches who have more give the poor Christians in in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians. And this would be a bond of unity, which Paul was so concerned about between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians there at the epicenter of Jewish Christianity in Jerusalem. So this is at the heart as Paul is ending the the end of his life, this is one of his last accomplishments he hopes to do is to bring money from the Gentile church to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And these Jewish Christians had suffered greatly because of a famine. And so he is calling the Corinthian church to uh, generosity in verses in chapters eight and nine. He writes to motivate them to generosity. And what I want you to see in this section are some reasons for Christian generosity. Three reasons here in this section I found for Christian generosity. First of all, generosity is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. Look at verse 7. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace, in generosity also. Now, you might find it curious, if you remember what was going on in 1 Corinthians, that Paul is speaking in such flattering terms about their faith here in 2 Corinthians. Because he says you are excelling spiritually in every in every way, in faith in speech and knowledge and all earnestness in love. And so you remember what was happening in first Corinthians, don't you, that this church was a divided church. This church was uh, was openly uh, approving of of sexual immorality. This church, there were people in this church in Corinth taking each other to court and suing each other. And they were even divided at the place where. No division should be a symbol of great unity. They're divided at the Lord's table. The the rich people were eating before the poor people had a chance. So uh, what is Paul saying here about the church that they excel? They're excelling spiritually. Is he just is he just trying to butter them up before he asks them to contribute to this offering? Is he just being is this just uh, is he being sarcastic? Sometimes Paul can be sarcastic. No, this is very genuine because Paul had received a report from Titus, his co-worker. We learned that um, in the beginning of chapter 8. He had received a report from his co-worker Titus. He had sent Titus to check out what was happening in Corinth. And Titus came back to Paul and, and, he, and he reports something like this. Paul, they received your letter. They heard your call to repent. They've turned. They've expressed genuine sorrow for the way that they've been behaving. Not, not everybody. There were still problems. But Titus brings this report back that there has been some genuine repentance in this community. And that's enough for Paul um, to take as an indication that God is, is clearly at work in these people's lives and in the church. When you see genuine sorrow for sin in the church and in our lives, that means God is working. God is at work. And so that's what Titus reports. And Paul is rejoicing about that. And so he says, now that God is at work in these other ways in your life, I want you to excel in the grace of giving in generosity. Generosity is an act of grace. Obviously, it's a it's it's an act of grace for the one who is receiving the gift. Right. Generosity is an act of grace for the recipient who gets a gift that he doesn't deserve. She didn't earn. It's an act of grace for the recipient, but it is also an act of grace for the one who gives. I give to you because God has given to me. I've received from God, so now you can be a recipient of God's good gifts. Grace is this stream that has been poured into me, and now it's flowing out of me into you. And so generosity is an act of grace. As Christians, we believe that every good thing that we receive is from God. Ultimately, all the good gifts that we enjoy are gifts of God from his hand. God is generous. And some people might say, well, wait a second. Wait a second here. I earn what I get. I've earned what I've received. You know, I've I studied hard. I've worked hard. I've 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 kept myself in shape. And that's why I have a good job or I enjoy a nice retirement or I have a good home or 
or I have health. It's not something that's been given to me. I've earned it. And, and there's some truth in that, that hard work and wise choices often reap positive rewards. The scripture teaches that. But, and I know most of you here know this better than I do, because I've seen the generosity in the way you celebrate life. But our very life is a gift from God. The, the next breath that we take is a gift. And, and all the good things that we have, our, our ability to work and to thank is a gift from God. Ultimately, all the good things we enjoy is an expression of God's generosity. That's what the scripture teaches. And so when we practice generosity, we're reflecting the heart of God who gives, who is generous. And, and the greatest example of God's generosity, of course, is found in, um, in the incarnation and Jesus' work on the cross. And that's what Paul points to in verse 9. Look down there as an example of the great grace that we see in Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. God in Christ became poor so that we can become rich. Jesus left the throne of glory, of heaven, of um, intimacy with his father at the right hand and was born in a manger, lived a humble life and ended his death, uh, ended his life on, on the cross, became poor for our sake to win our salvation. Here's what one saint wrote about the the humility of the incarnation and the work of Jesus on the cross. He says this, What would you say if a prince, out of compassion for a dead worm, chose to become a worm himself and gave his own blood to restore the worm to life? The eternal word of God, Jesus Christ, has done more than this for us. He chose to become like us, and we are much more beneath him than a worm is beneath the prince. He was willing to die for us in order to win back for us what was lost by our sin. Christ, in his humility, became poor for us so that we might become rich. And that is the greatest example of generosity that we have as Christians. And when we practice generosity in a small way, we are reflecting the heart of God, the nature of God. So generosity is an act of grace. And then Paul teaches us here that generosity is proof of love. Look at what he says in verse eight. I say this not as a command, okay? Paul is not demanding that they be generous. That would be a contradiction. I want you to give with a grateful heart. So give now. I'm commanding you as an apostle. Tell me how much you're going to give and I'm going to see if it's enough. No, he's not commanding them to be generous, but he's, he's motivating them by the truth of the gospel. And, he, and so he's saying, I'm not saying this as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. See, other churches were giving to this fund. And, and he mentions that early on in this chapter in Macedonia. They were very poor. And he says in the early uh, verses of, of chapter 8, he says, the church in Macedonia, which is very poor, begged me for an opportunity to give. Boy, that would make fundraising easy in the church. People of God begging to give out of their poverty. So they're proving that they're on board with this. They're proving their love for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And, and, and he's saying, now I want you to prove your love. And the word prove here has this sense of examining uh, something 
to prove the genuineness of the thing. It's like a jeweler who stares at the jewel under a magnifying glass to see if it, it really is genuine. And that's the word he used. Prove your love through your generosity. Generosity is a proof that love is real. And the kind of love that Paul is talking about here is that Christian love, the, the, the special kind of love that the New Testament talks about, agape love. And we've talked about this again. And agape love is, is uh, self-giving love, sacrificial love. It's not tethered to emotions. It's not an act of emotion. It's an act of the will. I will the good of another person, so I'm going to act for their good. No matter how I feel, that's agape style love. And so that's what Paul is calling them to. And it certainly would be easier and it would appeal to to my sinful nature to just love people in theory. To love people abstractly rather than to put that love into practice. It would appeal to my sinful nature to love my wife and not have to take out the trash all the time or not vacuum the house. The appeal to my sinful nature to love the poor, theoretically to pray, but not to give. To empathize with the lonely, but not to visit them. It's easier, but it's not what God is calling us to. And we become impoverished spiritually when we don't practice this kind of agape love. We're poor for it when we don't give in the way that God calls us to give. Because generosity is expansive. It expands us spiritually. And of course, it helps the other person. And the great example that we see in our gospel reading is of Jesus demonstrating this kind of agape style love, proving the generosity of God, the goodness of God that is flowing out of him to other people who are hurting and who are in need. He's proving the love of God. These crowds are gathered around him. They're pressing on him. He's in great demand. His time and his energy is being demanded of him constantly at this point in his ministry. And he takes the time to go to Jairus' daughter. But as he goes, he stops and he speaks to this woman who has touched his garment out of desperation, out of need. And this healing power has flown out of him into her. Now, he could have just moved on past this lady. He could have been stingy with his time. He was on his way to Jairus's. But he stopped in an act of great dignity. He stopped and he looked at this woman, not to embarrass her. But to give her dignity because of the expression of her faith. This was a woman. And this was an unclean woman ceremonially. And there are some barriers that Jesus just knocked down, the barrier of gender, of sex. And she was ceremonially unclean and he stopped and he looked at her and said, your faith has made you whole. He took the time to do that. And then he pressed on and he went and he healed Jairus's daughter in a great and a great miracle. Jesus demonstrates that kind of generous, compassionate heart constantly in his ministry and as Christians when we are generous this is not just about money and I'm not even setting you guys up for okay we're going to start a stewardship I think you're concerned because when we talk about money usually the only time the pastor talks about money is because we're getting ready to roll out a stewardship campaign or a capital campaign that's not what's going on here okay so let's just relax about that this was in the lectionary so on it 
But it's about reminding us as a, as a congregation of maintaining a culture of generosity. Not just money. But what, what are the things we can give besides money? Time. You know the, the T's? Time, talent, treasure. Some people add a fourth truth. We are stewards of the truth of God. In all these ways, with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, with the, with the truth that God has given us, we are stewards and we're called to give to others. I heard about one church that really started to take seriously this message of generosity towards a community, and they started offering free car washes and wrapping people's uh, Christmas presents for free, and there were some auto mechanics in the church, and they started offering free... Uh, uh, they, they said that people in the neighborhood, especially single poor women, could come and have their cars worked on for free. Um, they gave seminars, family seminars, teen seminars to the community. They worked in the inner city among the poor. So there was this creating this culture of generosity. And the pastor said that that the people were amazed to encounter such generosity. And they began to ask, why are you doing this? What is this all about? And some of the parishioners made a sign that just said, the outpouring of a thankful heart. This is the outpouring of thankful heart. God has given to me. God has given to us. God has poured his goodness into us and we want to pour that out into you. That was an expression of genuine care and love. Do you think the people wondered if God loves them after seeing that kind of genuine expression? I don't think so. Genuine acts of love. And generosity is an act of grace. And then finally, and uh, briefly here, generosity is about fairness. Generosity generates fairness. Those who receive more from God are called to give to those who have less. Look at what Paul says in verse 13 as he appeals to these Corinthians to give. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Isn't that interesting? There are some people who teach, and I actually heard this just a couple of weeks ago, somebody came to me and said, somebody told me, I heard a Christian teacher say that you should give until you're poor. Well, Paul's not saying that here. Paul just says directly the opposite. He says, I, I don't mean that you should give to others and then be burdened financially. I don't want you to strap yourself and become poor yourself, but I do want you to give generously. And then verse uh, 14 that as a matter of fairness, your abundance may supply their need. So their abundance may supply your need that there may be, may be fairness. So at this time, the Corinthians were better off. This was a rich place, Corinth, Gentile city, port city, lots of trade happening, lots of business. So these folks were mostly well off. A lot of them were well off, certainly more well off than the Jewish Christians who'd suffered in the famine in, Jew, in, in Jerusalem. So he's saying, you have more, you have an abundance, give out of that to those who have less, and then they will give back to you. And I think what he's talking about there is not material blessings, but spiritual blessings. These Jewish Christians have a rich heritage that they can share with you. And it's just a blessing to be in relationship with these Jewish Christians. This is part of God's plan is to bring unity between Gentiles and Jews through Christ. And so he's saying this whole thing, everybody's going to benefit from it. And I think as Anglicans, we, we sense that we should, this should resonate with us as Anglicans because we're in relationship with poor brothers and sisters in Africa, in Kenya, in Rwanda. And we've experienced this, haven't we? That we benefit from them spiritually. 
as we give to them and they, 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 they are in a relationship with us. And when they come here and we hear their fervor, their faith, their prayers, a faith that's been tested in the midst of suffering, that strengthens us. We benefit from them and they benefit from us. As we are generous. So Paul says it's a matter of fairness that those who have an abundance can supply those who have needs. And he illustrates this by looking back on an episode in the Old Testament. He quotes Exodus 16, 18. That's at the end in verse 15. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And what he's talking about there is the manna from heaven. Remember, God supplied this miraculous food from heaven and then he gave some instructions. The meal came with an instruction. Don't take more than you need. And don't keep it for yourself. You eat it and then be done with it. Don't hoard the manna. But did people listen to God's instructions? A lot of them didn't. And they started hoarding the manna. Why? Because they didn't trust God to provide the next day. I think that was part of it. They didn't trust God to provide for them the next day. So they hoarded the manna. But in the morning they found out that that manna was spoiled. And I think that's instructive for us as Christians here in the West. We can hoard the stuff that God has given to us because we're insecure. Because we can try to find our security through stuff, our identity, through our possessions and the money that we have. But compared to other Christians, most of us are very much well off compared to how our brothers and sisters in places like Africa and Latin America and Asia live. And this principle of fairness applies, I think, to us. A few years ago, there was some researchers from Notre Dame, sociologists from Notre Dame, and they found that um, around 22% of professing Christians never give to charity. 22%, almost one quarter. 5% of adults tithe, giving 10% or more of their income to a church or charity. Only 5% of professing Christians tithe. It's higher among conservative Christians, evangelical, Bible-believing Christians. The rates go up. But these researchers said that if members of churches, and the way they qualified that was saying, people who are active in church in America, who go to church a couple of times a month, If every member of a church in that category would tithe, they estimated that an additional $46 billion could be given to the kingdom of God. And and then they began to just say, what would, would happen with that money? What could happen with that money? More missionaries, more hospitals, more schools, more orphanages. They said that the gap between the, 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 the funding for the eradication of polo could finally be closed. Polo could be eradicated. If, if God's people who had more would supply to those who had less. And so the more we have, the call is, the more that we have is to give to those who have less. It's a principle of fairness. Generosity generates fairness. And this is not really, you know, we're all... As I, as I worked through this, I, I thought, man, I, I need to do more in this area. God was convicting me about some things. We're all in process. We're all in different places when it comes to generosity. This is about spiritual growth in our lives. And there are some people in this church that are sort of heroes of generosity for me. I've been challenged to watch how they give. And I know I could be doing more. 
But it's a process and, and we need to recognize that. I like the prayer that says, Lord, make me the kind of person my dog thinks I am. Help me to grow into that kind of a person. This is a generous church. We can do more with what God has given us. No doubt about it. We can keep this culture of generosity going and maintain this as a priority so that the world sees. This is a time, especially given some of the political things that have happened and some of the conversation now that's coming out because of the Supreme Court and the culture turning sort of against Orthodox Christianity. It's not time to retreat. It's time to reflect the character of the God we know and love who's given His very Son for our salvation.